Christ be with you. There are not so many Anglicans in tonight as there were this morning, I have to say. Uh, there's a bit of a better response. For the English, I, I always need to introduce myself first, and, and I think I should lay one rumor to rest. Uh, this morning I had a very concerned member of the King's Kids, where I'm often found in the morning, who said, Andy, what are you doing with the microphone thing around your head? Have you jumped up? I can categorically say I still feel my main calling is to support the King's Kids work that goes on upstairs normally in the morning. Can I also say, you know, don't call in the morning. I just decided to look a much more fat, if you don't mind. I, I may do a, a certain amount of, is what I'm going to do, sitting down. I hope that's, that's okay. Now, uh, you'll see I'm sitting on a pew. Um, I didn't get the chance to sort of introduce it properly this morning. Um, some will know that I've been ordained in the Anglican Church for the last 18 years, and uh, Matt wanted me to come in full robe. I decided that probably that might be a bit too much for the first time that I was speaking, so instead I just brought my own pew so that I could at least feel comfortable uh, talking to all of you. It will become clear later uh, why I've brought it. I want this evening to think about how we practically go about becoming more like Jesus. Uh, and again, you, you may get a slight bonus, and I'm dropping one of the stories uh, this evening that I used this morning. Instead, I'm going to try and focus a bit more on some of the practical ways that we might, each day, each week, and in different seasons of our lives, really try and realign ourselves, recalibrate ourselves to be more like Jesus. And I want to make sure I get to the part where I tell you that I believe the scriptures are pretty clear that if we as disciples are all called to make disciples, then every church should be a church planting church. And there shouldn't really be a question which is, oh, should we plant a church? It should be just absolutely part of, of who we are and our DNA. So I've said it now, so if I don't remember to say that at the end, at least I've managed to get that part in. Now, um, I work for an organization called the Mission to Sea Shepherds, um, which means I spend quite a lot of time talking to people on boats. But also, it means I spend quite a lot of time on aeroplanes because I am responsible in part for the Middle East and South Asia. And it's great, that public work is, is really good. It means privately I also get to go and meet with brothers and sisters of Islam in all sorts of unusual places. Um, but it does, as I say, mean I spend quite a lot of time on an aeroplane. Uh, now, Matt helped me this morning, so I'm going to ask Hannah if she'll come and help me uh, this evening. And I like to call this uh, the J. John approach to travelling on a plane. And occasionally I, I use this. Now, I don't always, and I have to say, Hannah, on my most recent trip, I did not use the J. John approach to evangelism. I'd just like to throw this out. Because on my most recent trip, it was five weeks after a legendary man born in New Zealand called Ben Stokes had won an ashes test for England. So actually, I spent the whole time boring the person next to me about how amazing test match cricket was. I don't know if anybody else is a fan of test match cricket. Oh, there we go. Anyway, I, I, I like to sit on uh, the plane, and you have to catch the person in the right... Yeah, you have to catch the person in the right moment before they put the kind of you know, the dead noise headphones on just to have a bit of a conversation. So I, I sat next to, actually it was a young man, but, but the, the sexy young lady, and we were making a journey uh, from uh, Seal and Dubai to Cairo. So I started with the obvious question, which you may think is slightly foolish, and said, oh, where are you going? Now, now obviously, if she had said or he had said, 
this sounds full. I'd have known that I was on the wrong train and I should get off quite quickly. So fortunately, he said, oh, I'm, I'm going to Cairo. I said, oh, what are you going to do in Cairo? He said, oh, I'm going for a work trip, my first visit to Cairo. He said, oh, you know, what do you do? And I still can't tell you exactly what he told me. He was like an executive assistant to the vice president of purchasing and something other else. It was a super long title and sounded really impressive, and he looked like he thought he was quite impressive. And he told me quite excitedly about some of the things he was going to do in his five days in Cairo. And then I gave him the, you know, feel free to ask me. Now, I have to say, at some point, people don't, they don't always do it. So sometimes they've just got to leave you hanging, and you're left looking at them in a slightly strange sort of... But, but he sure enough said, what about me? Um, now, now, he was working for HSBC, so I, I started off with the, oh, well, I, I too work for a, a global organization. Really? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. What do you do? I said, we're, we're into healthcare, education, we help people with their finances. We do all kinds of things. It's really just transformed the whole of life. Oh, he was clearly quite impressed. He said, well, where, where do you do that? I said, oh, well, we're in pretty well every country in the world. What's a company like to work for? Company like for one of the biggest owners of the biggest companies. Then, as soon as you sign up and accept to be part of the company, you become like a co-shareholder with the boss. Your boss. And then he gave me that kind of look, like, well, how come you're still sitting at the back? I don't. Know, I know you don't normally sit there. But how come? How come you're sitting? How come you're sitting at the back? You know, it sounds like you should be. I said, well, the, the day-to-day pay is not actually that great. But believe me, the free benefits are out of this world. He heard it this morning. And, and he, by the, he was totally sucked in, basically. He said, oh, you know, will I have heard of the organization you're talking about? I said, well, probably. But who is it? And I said, the church. Because he, very quickly, put on his headphones, and I'm absolutely certain just pressed the first film that he could get on the screen and sat there for four and a half hours avoiding me for the rest of the time. I know, I know, it's sad. And as he sat there, I began to read some words from the Bible. Now, if you want to turn up Colossians chapter 1, you can. I, I just sat beside him and started to, to read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I began to explain sort of grace and peace to the young man next to me. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up here in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over this world is gospel is bearing fruit and growing. As I read those words about this gospel that was already, as Paul and Timothy write, was going all over the world, I was wondering, you know, actually what I'd said to this young man was true. The church is in almost every country in the world. Christians have transformed education and healthcare and keep 
economic system across the world. And yet when this young man heard the word church, his own switched off. I never got the chance to ask him exactly why that was, but I kept on reading. And I got to verse 27. I would just read the whole letter because it's worth a read. Verse 27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And just as I read that, it was like the Father reminded me, and you have to be deeper to Him. You are a little Christ to the people that you reach. There is no other way that they're going to experience who I am, except through you and those like you. And so, what I want to say this evening is to impart those. Thank you. You know now. I'm just reading it. Okay. Is in part based on this this truth that for many Almost the opposite of what our founder had set it up to be. Um, about 15 years ago, um, I was invited to plant a church in the north of England. Uh, and uh, as part of the, the praying and trying to listen to the people, I spent some time commuting on trains, not because I was going to work, but just so I could sit with commuters and, and chat with the commuters. And, and I really just wanted to ask them. What do they think of Christians? What do they think of Jesus? Which is quite horrifying, really, because person after person told me that the church was cold, old hat, out of date. I got a little punchline. So that particular church, this person was not talking about this particular church, but their coffee up here was rubbish. They just had this feel the church was not a place of welcome. It was a place of exclusivity. It was just certain people. And then I asked them about Christians. I said, well, you know, do you know any Christians? And if they said, well, I don't really know any Christians, I said, well, just have a think about it. Are there any famous Christians that you are aware of? Now, remembering that this was 15 years ago, here are the three uh, that they if you can get them on the screen. Now, some of you will only know these if you're from England. Uh, for the first lady with a cigarette in her mouth, the lady called Dot Cotton. She was in a folk program called EastEnders. She was a Christian. And she was the most person I have ever met. You'll all, I'm sure, recognize Ned Flanders. The archetypal knows him kindly. And the one in the middle at the time was the most powerful man. If they didn't know a Christian, and this is only in my culture and that's what it tended to think that Christians were lazy or people with power. Yet the early church was absolutely the opposite. You do a bit of uh, historical sociology and think about how the early church spread, how it grew so exponentially from kind of a few thousand at the time when Paul is writing these letters to, say, three centuries later, 
what are some of the key things that jerked you about? They were biased towards the poor. They were inclusive of everybody. And everybody got a chance to play. Everybody got to take part. They stayed in the most awful situation. And everybody else left. When disease spread, when famine spread, even when persecution spread, the church dealt And I would also suggest that they had built into them this idea that their call was to make disciples of other people. And so they were desperate to replicate, to have more and more communities. Now I'm telling you some extreme examples of how the church may now be used, but I think it's important that we constantly ask ourselves, how are people perceiving us? Do they see us as, well, the moment of epiphany for me was again on that train, when finally uh, a young lady I sat next to said she knew a Christian. And she said this, she said, this can't describe what it is about my friend. It's just good news. She's, she's like this, good news to be around. Now, ever since I heard that, that is a weekly prayer for me that I might in some way be good news to the people I meet, to my family, to my next door neighbour. I wonder what it would mean for you, for us, to be good news. Uh, some of you remember, just the beginning of the summer, that Matt uh, spoke from uh, John 1. And he used that really well-known passage about the Word becoming flesh. And as he was, was reading it, again, the Lord spoke to me through verses 11 and 12. It says this, that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They, they knew him not. They failed to see him. They didn't even notice him, might be another translation. We are followers of this person, Jesus. Does knowing us not make any difference to us? Verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I wasn't lying to my neighbor that we become co-heirs with God when we decide to follow the way of Jesus. That is true for John the Christian. But I wonder how often we live as sons and daughters of the King. I wonder how often we live as sons and daughters of the King. Uh, Time magazine, on, regular, on a regular basis, uh, tell us that Jesus the most influential person in history. But I wonder which Jesus it is we are showing to people. Are we showing the Jesus who looks like us, or are we showing the real Jesus? This one who is biased to the poor, who wants to include. 
wants to be challenged not because he's in some sort of sect, but because he's challenging the authorities of the time. Uh, I'm going to give you a few uh, quotes from some philosophers and an extra one that my daughter reminded me of this afternoon. She'll be very impressed that my 15-year-old is already quoting philosophers. Uh, a very grumpy Danish man called Soren Kierkegaard, who writes quite dense stuff, so don't rush off and buy all of his books. But he does say this, my mission is to introduce Christianity into Christendom. Jesus' life in all its aspects must supply the norm for the life of the follower of Jesus, and thus the life of the whole church. I said this morning, and I think it is true, it's quite simple to understand just perhaps hard to do. So Jesus lived a life of simplicity, a life that was challenging, but a life of obedience and of service. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I often have to take myself off of the throne and remind myself that I've got to put God on the throne of my heart. Uh, another a French philosopher, equally as grumpy as the Danish one, writing a 50 or 60 years later, says this, his name's Jacques he says, we have to admit that there is an immeasurable distance between all that we read in the Bible about Jesus and the practice of the church and Christians. Think about that. We have to admit there is an immeasurable distance between all that we read in the Bible and the practice of the church and Christians. That is why I can speak of subversion of the gospel. Oh, Dad, my daughter says to her this afternoon, you mean like Stormtroopers? I said, well, what do you mean? Well, we've forgotten that we've been blinded by grace. Not come across the great philosopher that is Stormtroopers. I would recommend some of the tracks on his album. Just skip the ones with the little E beside them. But we have forgotten about this gospel that is about grace. It is grace and love and kindness that will overwhelm them. Not us telling them how they shouldn't be, how they shouldn't live. It's us showing them a different way. Um, I trained as a sociologist originally, um, which I'm sort of proud of. Or uh, I won't tell you about it. There used to be an advert in England. I, I can tell you that. This is adding a story and dropping it somewhere else. But so there used to be an advert in England uh, advertising telecom, the British telecom. And they would have a grandmother who would be phoning her grandson who had, had not done very well in his exams. And so he'd be listing all the exams he'd failed. And then eventually say, But I did pass sociology. To which she said, Well, at least you've got knowledge, darling. Well done. And I spent all of my life at university with my friends going, Well, at least you've got an ology, darling. Well done. So I'm proud to be a sociologist. And Roger Stark, who you should read, uh, wrote a great book called The Triumph of Christianity. And he says this, What the early Christians did is they took the claims and ideas of Jesus and they lived them out every day together. With little thought to themselves, they were doing what they did to make Jesus known. 
were doing what they did to make Jesus known. Every part of my life has the possibility to say something about Jesus. I said this morning that uh, in one of the churches I used to lead, I used to say to people, I'd literally said, just like you all to bring your bank statements to me, and, and I'd like to check whether your bank statements tell me that you're living a life to make Jesus known. Your emotion looked like you're looking now, so whenever I, whenever I said it. I, I don't think I ever actually had any of you come the next week and go, here's my bank statement, let's have a little look through. But every aspect of our life tells the story about Jesus. How we drive, how we speak. Every aspect of your life tells the story about Jesus. Now the final person I want to speak about in this little section, and then I'll get to the key, is a guy called Alan Hurst. And Alan uh, writes a lot about church planting and mission in the 21st century. He says this, It seems to be one of the tragic fates of human existence, that over time the very structures or tools we create to support and enliven people take on a life of their own. And in some way they become the cause. If we're not careful, we make the very business of doing church the thing rather than I know that as a church leader. And this key uh, is a reminder to me of that. I was uh, leading a church uh, in the south of England, and uh, this church had been planted in the 7th century, so I'd been there quite a long time, by the time I got there in 2009, 2010. And in the middle of the 19th century, uh, the Victorians decided they'd try and make it a little more comfortable for me. So rather than standing and sitting on the floor, they thought they would introduce these. This is a key, this is an actual key from, I think, 1848. It's a fairly old piece of wood. Um, Spin on 150 years, and the new church leader and the leadership decided, actually what we want is to sit on something more comfortable. Let's get rid of all the wooden keys and have, well, seats which actually are very cushiony, by the way. I'm nothing against the seats here, but they have nice little... Well, for some people... And you may think this is impossible, but for some people, many people in fact, in the country I come from, that was an absolute nightmare. The idea of removing the pew for one man in particular meant he stopped coming to church. Not stopped coming just to the church that I was leading, stopped going to church. Now, there's lots of lessons I learned from it, but one of them was, what have I not taught over the year or so that I've been there? that he had not seen that it was about Jesus and calibrating his life around Jesus. It was still about the key. And as it happened, I kept one of the keys. And whenever I sit on this key, not only do I pray for that particular man, but I am reminded myself, am I calibrating my life around There was a wonderful uh, radio program in the UK a few years back called The Things You Forgot to Remember. And there's two things I think the church forgot to remember. The first is about disciple-making. The second is about church planting. This program was really fascinating about movements and ideas that you know, people had 500 years ago which never quite took off. Uh, in church, we can often get our A, B, C, D in the wrong order. Uh, this is it's pretty simple to remember, and I've tried to give you a nice simple example. The A, B, C, D for me can be in, in church communities. We worry about attendance. 
and we can bless you there. We are about our buildings, we've got our buildings, suitable for all the things we want to do. We are about our tax, have we got enough money to do what we want to do? And those are, you know, important things, but they get ahead of the dream of making disciples. We need to realign ourselves, we need to calibrate. And we can do this as individuals, of course, as well. We can think that our appearance, or our belongings, or again our are more important than being a disciple. I think that's clearly wrong from the scriptures. And here's four ways that I personally try and constantly recalibrate my life. First of all, I need to keep reminding myself I'm an apprentice, I am a disciple. I am a lifelong learner. Yet I, I've been following the Lord Jesus for just over 30 years. I still have so much transformation for the Holy Spirit to do in me. You should never think that your leaders are that much further along or any further along than, than anybody else. We are all in this together being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now for me, I need to constantly have moments where I am in awe of God. Um, I just put one scripture quote up there, I could have put a whole load of other ones. Uh, John 12, where Mary comes with a year's worth of perfume to her and just pours it on Jesus. Bows in humility before Jesus and worships him. I need to spend lots of time in worship, in adoration of God. And you've got to find your way of doing that. Some people can sit in silence, some people love to, to get out into the into the countryside or into the desert and just be reminded of how incredible it is that God, God the creator of the universe, has you and me to play our instrument. Yeah, you, we have got to take time to try and soak that up. And we need to learn again what it means to love like Jesus loved. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, before we get into the, the more controversial bits about uh, wives and husbands and how they live, tells us about Jesus whose love is so sacrificial that he gives completely of himself. How do we love those around us? Particularly those who are not like us. Early church was full of people who were unalike, who were different, who were diverse. Do you love those who are not like you? And then finally, the adventure of how am I taking hold of life that is truly life? So we are called to be obedient to God. We are called to be obedient with, with ourselves, with all we do in our lives, and it should be an adventure. I don't think God calls us to the safety of calls us to step out in faith. Finally, the other thing that I think we have often forgotten to remember, I'm going to move on the slide, is that your life makes a difference. If I was to come and uh, ask your next-door neighbour, or the person who sits next to you at work, difference does it make when you're working alongside a Christian? I wonder what they would say. I wonder what they'd say at my office if you came uh, into my office. I believe we are called to make a difference. The final thing I want us to just think about, and then I will just give us ten minutes to, to respond, is this whole idea of church planting. Every church was once planted. Now, every church, at 
Even the church that I was once a leader of, which was planted in the 7th century, was once slumped. Somebody said we must start a church in this place. And historically, if you believe Reverend Starr, the most effective way that we reach new people is by constantly replicating what we're doing. Not by gathering in bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger groups, but actually constantly replicating the model. But I think as students, the model is not about how many songs you sing or the type of preaching you have in your church. But it's about are we a community for the poor? Are we a community for the broken? Are we a community where all sorts of diversity can come and play a part? Are we a community where we stay in the pain and the suffering and together find a way not just to love one another, but to show that we serve the God who is love? Sometimes I think, when I've been involved in about five or six churches, we can get so hung up in the, the technicals of how we do it, we forget that actually, at its heart, it's about one disciple making another disciple. And then a community of disciple makers making other disciples. And living life together, being broken together, serving together. Because that's being like Jesus. So if we have chance to respond. I really feel some of us we want to recalibrate our lives around Jesus. We know we've kind of got distracted and believe me, I've been in Dubai for ten months. This is an easy place to get distracted. I found myself the other day saying, oh, my car's cold, I need a better charge. Or something ridiculous. It's an easy place for the world to kind of close in on us. Some of us need to recalibrate around really having that sense of awe for God. Some of us, it's about loving other people. We just really struggle with loving those who are pain and suffering. Some of us, it's that easy to fall to getting concerned about ourselves. I believe one thing has drawn me away from being a Christian for the last few months that I've preached to the leader for that. Can we just take a moment? And then I'm going to hand over to, to Rob.